Hello, sisterhood. Mm -hmm. I am excited to share with you today what it means to be clothed with joy. Everybody say joy. joy. We're going to start <clears throat> excuse me, by considering something that I think is an actual common experience that we all have shared at one point or another, and that is to watch someone that we love or care about experience a very difficult season of life, but do so with her head held high and a smile on her face and really her hands raised in genuine worship to Jesus. And we observe this over a period of time and we wonder, what in the world? How can she be doing life like this? How can she be so strong? How can she actually live her life with joy in the midst of such difficulty? And we know that in a general way, the answer is that her strength comes from the Lord. But today, I want to share with you that really, truly, this woman is strong by the joy of the Lord. And while that seems like just a fine tuning, I want to, and I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to bring to light what that really means. Nehemiah 8.10 says, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So let's just break this down. If you need strength and the joy of the Lord is your strength, then quite simply, you need the joy of the Lord. Amen? But what exactly is this thing that we talk about as the joy of the Lord? We've got to know. We just have to know. And so as we begin today, I want to ask you just for a moment to kind of clear the slate that's in your mind of any previously held notions or thoughts or ideas or imagery of what joy is. I think that will help us. And we're going to start by differentiating between joy and happiness, because they are not the same thing. And as Christian women, we are clothed with joy, not happiness. Joy is not the same as happiness. It's not to be thought of as an emotion or a feeling. <clears throat> Rather, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit who's alive and at work in us. Joy is eternal and ongoing. Okay? Joy is independent, say independent, Mm -hmm. of circumstances and environments. So what this means then is that as believers, we are capable of experiencing joy anytime and anywhere, no matter what. Because hear this, joy is not contingent upon anything external, nothing at all. Now happiness, on the other hand, is a pleasurable feeling. It is an emotion. And it's brought about by doing certain things or experiencing certain things. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances. And because circumstances can change, happiness changes. It can be fleeting. It's temporal. That is, it does not last forever. Can I give you a quick example? <clears throat> Would anybody want to hear my example? Yeah. Okay, okay. No one answered, so I just want to make sure. Hallelujah. When my husband Keith mows the lawn, he gets really happy because he can start and end this project in about an hour and a half to two hours. And when he's finished, it looks really good. And it's manicured and it's pristine and it looks, it's just snappy. It's fabulous. And he feels good because the job was well done. But five days later, when he drives home from work and the sun and the rain have done their thing, and he notices upon coming into the driveway that the grass has grown and that, in fact, it doesn't look snappy and manicured anymore. That happiness that he had just a few days ago 
It's nowhere to be found. And it won't return until what? He mows again, right? Happiness is fleeting. And so while it's great to feel happy, we all like to feel happy, we'd really be better off to pursue living our lives joyfully. Mm -hmm. So how does this happen? Joy stems from Holy Spirit, like I said, alive and at work in us. We don't make ourselves joyful. It's not, it's not something we can conjure up. It's a fruit. Think about the fruit. This is apple season. The, the fruit that a tree bears is not a result or product of it working to make that happen. The life in the tree just produces the fruit. Similarly, the life of God inside of us produces joy. It results from being intimately acquainted with him, his word, his love, his character. So that's what joy is. But then back to this thing called the joy of the Lord specifically. What is this? And for answers, we're going to go to the book of Nehemiah. <clears throat> now you'll see on your handout, that I've included a very lengthy passage of scripture. Um, and there's a reason for that. It's because we're going to kind of use it as a jumping board, I guess, if you will, for the remainder of this lesson. Um, before I get there, though, let me share with you that Nehemiah was a great man of God who led God's people very well. He eradicated evil from Jerusalem. He rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. He cautioned God's people to no longer live a life of idolatry, but rather holiness before God. I feel like I would like to vote for him for president. Maybe, I don't know. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, <clears throat> we read that the people were celebrating these wonderful things that he's brought about, their sense of community and unity amongst, amongst their villages and things. They were celebrating all of this at the Festival of Trumpets. And he gathered 50,000 people in the public square to hear Ezra the priest read from the book of the law. And this is where we pick up this scripture. I would like to invite you to look at it as I read it out loud. <clears throat> Excuse me, so here we go. Verse 2 says, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all of the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose. The next bit of the verse goes on to talk about the six scholars that were on one side and the seven on the other. So there were 13 scholars of the word standing beside the priest as he read. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all of the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Don't sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. I'd like to make three points about this passage to begin. First, the people honored God's word. Do you recall here and notice that the priest intentionally got up on a platform? He took a place of honor when he read the book of the law. There's a study note in my Bible that says that Ezra would have welcomed and responded to people's questions. He was circled by 13 scholars. Why is this significant? It's telling us here, if we just think about this, that reading the book was not a formality to these people. It wasn't a ritualistic reading. They were taking the time to include explanations, to answer questions, to bring insight and application of the word of God. And the people did not remain seated. The Bible told us that when the word was read, they got up on their feet as a form of honoring the word. They raised their hands. We know that this is a form of surrender to what was being spoken. It also, to me, depicts an idea that I am, I am receptive, God, to what you have to say to me. And they bowed their head in reverence. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when whether I'm in a worship service or in a prayer meeting or even in my quiet time with the Lord, that the Holy Spirit and his word so stirs in me, I can't help but to want to honor him. And I might raise my hand. In fact, for those of you that were at the Sparkle Conference, when the offertory was being sung, Taylor and Emily got up on the platform and sang, one by one, women in the, in the congregation and the audience began to stand because they were reverencing and honoring what God was doing in that moment. Amazing. You know, the word that we get to read every day isn't People magazine. The word of God, the Bible, is his holy truth. And for us to just pause long enough to, to note that this isn't to be read like a newspaper. It's not like scrolling through your social media. This is the holy word of God, and to honor it and just pause for a moment and consider the great privilege that we have in reading the very words of the Father. Whew. To honor God's word. Let's do that. Secondly, the people responded to God's word. Verse 3 says that their ears were attentive and that they listened closely. They were engaged. They were not distracted. And as a result, what happened? They understood. The Hebrew word for understand is pronounced bin. It means to discern and perceive and grasp and have insight. In other words, the people, as the scripture was being read, they got it. They had the moment, the aha, if you will, right? The light bulbs turning on every which way. <clears throat> this Hebrew word bin is written also where we can think back to the passages in the Old Testament where Samuel, who was a young boy at the time, was being trained by the priest, Eli, and we probably know the story, but he hears his name in the night, and he gets up and he thinks that Eli had called him, and he says, yes, I'm here, and Eli says, no, I didn't call you, go lay down, and he lays down, and he hears his name again, and he gets up a second time, and the same thing happened. The third time, the Bible tells us that Samuel perceived, discerned, <gasps> ah, it was being he had a revelation that this was God calling him. This was what was going on in the context of Nehemiah 8. As the word of God was being read, the people were having revelation 
Notice, too, that the people responded emotionally to the word that was read. They had gladness of heart for all that God had done, but at the same time, they experienced sorrow for their sin and their backsliding. We know that their hearts were touched because the Bible tells us that everyone was weeping. Everyone, upon hearing the word and understanding that they had transgressed God's commands, they felt a holy conviction. They were crying and mourning before him. They were convicted, again, deeply sorrowful for having disobeyed. But see, what's interesting is that in that, in the midst of responding to God's word, the man of God exhorted them not to remain in that place of sadness. Rather, he said, you need to realize that this day is holy. It's holy. And what made it holy? I propose to you that the people understood God's word, and that is what made the day holy holy. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will reveal truth to us when we look at the word sort of from an overview perspective, if you will. And if you come up and you look at this passage that's on your handout today, you see that in verses 9 and 10 and 11, it's proclaimed, this day is holy to the Lord. And still from that same kind of overview perspective, If you look again, you'll see that five times in this one passage, there's mention of the people of God understanding the word of God. Yes, the day was significant because they were having a special celebration, a special festival, but what made this day even more significant, it was the day marked when God was understood by his people. It was a day when the hearts of men aligned with the heart of the Father, It was a day when revelation came to the children of God, a day when his truth sprang to life and impacted them as never before. Those of you that are parents, think about this. You've taught your son or your daughter a particular principle or truth, and you've modeled it, and there's a time where all of a sudden it becomes theirs. Does that not give you joy? Does that not light your fire? You go, she got it. I'm I'm now right or wrong, good or bad, or anything in between. I'm a mom of adult children. I can't even believe I can say such a thing. But all my children are past that 18 thing. And I will tell you that when we overhear our kids talking about the things that we've modeled and the elements of our lives that we have shared and taught for decades, when it becomes their truth, when they get it, There is a really good thing happening in this mama. I mean, I'm telling you that it's a special day. That day becomes set apart and sanctified to hear that what was my truth has become their truth. Hallelujah. And it's no different for us as children of God. You guys, when a child of God has revelation of God's truth, the day is very special. It is set apart and it's made holy. Whew. That's the truth. This is living as a child of God. This is its best piece. I I really believe that. What is more, there's a huge correlation between the day being made holy and the joy of the Lord being our strength. Let's return to Nehemiah 8.10 and look at it just with our grammar lenses on for a second. The joy of the Lord. Okay. Just like the home of the Petersons means the Petersons' home. It's ownership. So too, the joy of the Lord can signifies ownership. The joy of the Lord means the Lord's joy. We've already established that it's the Lord's joy for his children to get it, 
to have revelation and understand his word, to grasp what he's saying. The joy of the Lord is when we get it. And the benefit that that brings to us is that we are made strong by getting it. Ladies, revelation of the word of God strengthens you and it joys the Lord. The moment you understand the truth, his truth empowers you. It changes you way down deep on the inside. I'm telling you that the timing of our, of our weekend services in conjunction with this message is about rocked me. If you were at church, you saw the video where Pastor Rob interviewed Dr. Hammer and Dr. Bradford. And they were talking how about space shuttles <laughs> and among all sorts of things that space shuttles need to defy gravity and launch upward. They need fuel and oxygen. And one of them made the comment that metaphorically, fuel to Christians can be likened to God's word. And metaphorically, oxygen to Christians is the Holy Spirit. You put the word of God and the Holy Spirit together and there is a spiritual combustion when you understand the word of God, in that moment, the Holy Spirit quickens something to you as you're reading his word. You get lifted up. And whatever was pressing you down is somehow pushed out of the way, like the force of gravity is defied with the rocket ship. What's holding us down gets counteracted and defeated. And this is the Lord's joy. When you grasp his words and take them in for yourself, they set you free. Look at Nehemiah 8, 10, and 12 again. It's a reason for celebration. He says to them, go your way, celebrate, eat and drink the good stuff. Why? This day, this day of understanding, this day of revelation, this moment is holy to the Lord. Don't sorrow for the joy of the Lord. What is giving him joy right now? It's your strength. It's for your strength. So go, go, go. And at the end it says they, they went and rejoiced greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. The Lord joys in our understanding because in our understanding, when we have revelation of his truth, we are made strong. Do you know that it joyed the Lord for us to study the identity of the believer last spring? Consider how strong you became the moment you realized you had the aha moment that you've been given the peace of God. How strengthened were you to know that 2,000 years ago, by his stripes, you were healed. That you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You got strengthened by having that revelation. Understanding of God's word is how strength comes. Let's just be real. Life on this earth is full of challenges, yes? Big ones and small ones and unexpected ones. And oh my goodness, they're not fun and they're not easy. But it's God's joy and it's our strength when we understand what he says in the face of adversity. Now, I'm just going to call your bluff or something. I don't know what the phrase is. Is you might sit in the audience today, you might sit at your table, and you might say, well, that's great, and she can teach this because her life is perfect. You may look at your sisterhood teachers or at your table leaders, and you may have this false idea that her thing is perfect. There's just, it's just easy sailing. Um, no. No. In this world, you will have tribulations. You, everyone. We all have stuff, right? Yes, right? And speaking for myself, I'm just doing the best I can to abide in the vine, to listen to him, to let his word and his spirit create the combustion of revelation so that the Lord's joy becomes my strength.
So I'd like to, if I can, just share with you a little bit about how he has strengthened and is strengthening me with his word. Just kind of model this so that you can apply it to your own lives. When I'm faced with persecution of some sort, I ask the Lord, Lord, what do you have to say to me about this? And he leads me to something like Psalm 62.2, which says, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. And I get quiet and I listen for his voice. And he whispers, Kristen, I alone am your defense. Not your education. Not your bank account. Not your husband. Me. I will defend you. Only me. And in that moment, strength comes. When I'm faced with lack, you know, I pay bills like everybody else. <laughs> and I see the ledger tells me there's not quite as much as I would like for there to be in there. He turns me to Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And as I consider this and as I elevate his word above the checkbook, I hear him say, Kristen, the word shall it doesn't say might. It says shall. I shall supply your need. It's a word of certainty. And in the revelation, I'm strengthened. Two years ago, we were under a great deal of stress, and I think my body had become depleted, and what may have just been a normal little cold turned into something that hung on for two and a half weeks. I, I just seriously had never been so miserable. But despite feeling so miserable and those symptoms, I sought his direction still. I wanted to know what he said about this situation. Put the word of God in front of me, and Psalm 103, 2 and 3 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. Because in that moment, I didn't have any trouble believing that he would forgive me of my sin, but this whole disease thing, I'm coughing, I feel miserable. And he said, no, 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 just as, just as, just as I forgive every sin, so too I heal every sickness. Kristen, I do both for you. Let me do both for you. Let me do both. And revelation came, and I was strengthened. And as I come to this next scripture, I'm led to make a bit of a shift. Is rather than tell you what I do when I'm facing uncertainty or if I need direction, I want to speak to you about where you are at. Okay? I was awakened at four o'clock this morning with this stirring in my heart. Tell them it's time to call to me for answers. Tell them it's time to find out what I have to say about what they are facing. You see, because some of you are new at being in a relationship with the Lord, and you may not know that he has promises in his word for every situation you could be facing. And some of you know in a very general sense that God is faithful and that he's good, but still you don't know a specific word 
that he could apply to your specific circumstance. But he wants you to know and understand. If we haven't established anything else prior to these moments, I hope that you've established with me that he wants us to understand, to grasp what his word has to say. And so if this is you, and if this at all bears witness today, and if not, it's okay. But if it does bear witness and you are faced with uncertainty and you need direction and you would like for God to show you his word on a matter, will you just simply let me pray for you? Just pause this little lesson to pray for you. And will you just show me with a raise of your hand who I'm praying for? Can you just, by an act of faith, if there's an uncertainty or something that you are looking to the Lord for a word, I want to believe with you, okay? So let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you that you are good and you are faithful and these are your daughters. Jeremiah 33.3 tells us to call to you and so we call to you right now, God. We know that it's your will for your children to understand your word. So I lift up each one of my sisters, God. I pray, will you show her? Will you bring her wisdom? Will you teach her Holy Spirit what you have to say? Give her understanding of your truth regarding her particular situation. Thank you, Father, for the strength that comes at the revelation of your truth. In Jesus' name, we receive it, we believe it, and we say amen. You see, when we invite the Holy Spirit to teach us, he grants us understanding. In 1 Kings chapter 3, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and he said, Solomon, anything you want, anything you want, what would you like? What an awesome dream. And what's so astounding, but maybe not so much anymore after we've thought about these things, is that Solomon's response was, God, what I really, really want is an understanding heart. What I want more than anything else is a hearing heart. God was pleased to give Solomon understanding way back then, and you know what? He's pleased to give us understanding today. Proverbs 4, 7 says, in all you're getting, get understanding. Paul tells us that joy is actually found in believing. Looking for joy? It's found in believing. Looking for joy? It's found in believing. Mm, Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy in believing. If you can only remember one thing today, maybe it should be this. It is only in believing what God says that you will be filled with joy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that again. It is only in believing what God says that you will be filled with joy. In 2013, one of our kids began to walk on a path that we had not chosen for him. And it was really difficult. And we experienced overwhelming pain, and him too. And felt helpless as things slowly began to spin what seemed out of control. Every part of it hurt deeply. But here's the thing. God really is in every storm. He really is an ever-present help. He is in the midst of the storm. And in the midst of this storm, I met with him. And I sought his face. And he replied because he's faithful to his promises. And one day I was just reading along in Exodus chapter 3, which seems pretty fair, like it just wouldn't really apply to my life. Exodus chapter 3. <laughs> 
Well, let me tell you something. He brought a passage to life, and he tied it so securely to this experience that we were encountering, it became a promise to me. And I wrote it on this card so many years ago, and it's been in front of me, and it has been before me, along with several other promises. There's several others. This one's about him being a masterpiece, and, and this, tells, <laughs> this tells vision stuff about his heart and about his future. And over here we've got some some verses to remind me of God's faithfulness, that he will never stop. He will never relent. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something here, that there's been no magic eraser to remove difficulties. Hmm? The challenging journey continues, but you know what? It's okay. In fact, it's very good because God's faithfulness is on display and his love is all-powerful. And one of the things, of the jillions of things that I have discovered is that my ability to continue is founded only upon believing God's word. I understand these promises that the Lord has spoken to me and I believe them no matter what. No matter what. Oh, my, 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 my. Oh, I'm getting excited. Okay, but my pages are sticky. What in the world? <laughs> See, all of this, when I choose to believe what he says, that gives him joy, right? For me to understand his truth, it's the Lord's joy. And it gives me strength so I really can sing in the midst of the storm. And I really can serve. And I really can smile and love people the best that I know how. In the midst of the challenge, praise the Lord. Yeah. Hallelujah. There are many, many, many who testify the same. The prophet Jeremiah, in his plight, this is what Jeremiah says in 15, 16. Your words, God, were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. David, who faced the giant, what did he say? The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. Hallelujah. Jesus, our precious Jesus, is eating the Last Supper with his disciples, and he's teaching them down to the very end, sharing and teaching and ministering. And as their time together is coming to a close, he explains why he said all that he said. John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus fully intended for his disciples then and today to have faith and believe in his words and to accept them and to understand them. And he's the same yesterday and today and will be forever. This means right now, in 2019, right now, today, Jesus joys. He joys when we lay hold of what he says because the strength that comes in the process will empower us to live the lives that he intends for us to live. Ladies, picture yourself the subject of Proverbs 31, 25. She is clothed with strength and dignity and joy, believing and receiving God's word, and she laughs without fear of the future. May you live your lives clothed in joy. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Amen, amen, amen.